Yeah. Sounds good. All right. So welcome to our TED, our TED talk, our TED, Ted Kaczynski's talk. Perfect. <laughs> yes. And today I'm going to talk to Petty Linkolus Stan, who, if you can't guess by his name, is at least a fan of ecology. Are you not? Are you an ecologist? I, I am. I am an ecologist. You are. Good. Good. And where are you? Okay. Well, let me just start off then by saying, were you, were you inspired at all to get into ecology from Ted Kaczynski or? I was. I mean, I've I've always had a, a strong connection with nature since I was a young child. I wanted to be a biologist when I was younger. The math requirement ended up making that impossible. But um, I've you know worked closely with nature. But Ted Kaczynski was one of those thinkers that inspired me to consider like not only not only necessarily radical ecology or environmentalism, but specifically like a, a dissident perspective on it. Obviously, he has a lot of important um, views on the sort of leftist environmentalist selective environmentalists that we see today in academia a lot. So that was like a, a fair wake up call for me. When I read Industrial Society and its future, I was pretty amazed. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it is amazing. And it, people think that's all he wrote, but he, I mean, he's he's actually uh, produced quite a bit, quite a bit of writing, uh, you know, I think over 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 the years. And I'm not sure the details of them. I don't, was, he, was he even published before he did that as well? Do you know? He was uh, not published. Aside from mathematics um, papers, because um, he was a mathematics oh. professor, but once he, once yeah. actually, you know, he went to prison and the sort of the entry, obviously the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal both published Industrial Society and its future per his demands. Yeah. But after that, yeah. there, he produced a anti-tech revolution, uh, why and how, which was sort of an edit of his original thoughts on revolution specifically, mm -hmm. which uh, yeah. surprisingly doesn't mention the uh, the violent campaign that he ultimately undertook, and um, Technological Slavery, which is the manifesto, and then a number of letters he wrote with a correspondent, which are both available now online published. Right, 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 right. And so I don't know, I don't know if you've read all these, but I mean, I, I haven't read them all, but I, I sort of, I've got summaries of them, let's say. The thing that he, one of the ones, one of the later ones, I think he wrote, it must have been the, um, I don't, I don't remember the name, the name of it, but anyways, he was, his, he was expounding on his theory that, um, it's actually how do how can I explain it? The it's the system itself, which is like the the tyrant, or if you will, it's not yeah. like there's this individual thing you can you can poke other than the actual working system of the technological society. So yeah, yeah what do you what do you think about that one? I mean, I, I that think that's pretty central to his theories, and I think specifically what what's important was his one his discussion that it would ultimately through uh, genetic manipulation and technological advancements that the system would control society for its purposes rather than the other way around. He talks about how the Neolithic European man managed to yield technology without letting it control him, but how he sees that currently um, the system is going towards control and also that it is impossible to have a discussion of human freedom while existing within the techno-industrial system because it necessarily restricts human freedom. I think that's a uh, Pretty important, especially when discussing with like, um, you know, a, a critique somewhat pointed at like the libertarians who, you know, they want like a more freedom or, or uh, scaling down while also championing the technological progress that makes it impossible. Yeah. So, I mean, if that's true, this is one of those things. It's one of those theories that's like um, it's like Spengler or other ones I can think of where if it's true, it's wholly true. And it literally explains and encompasses almost everything. And I mean, I'm not sure that I, 
I think it's mostly true for sure. Just same as I would say for Spengler, I, I believe it's like mostly true. I can't say it's hundred percent true, but if that's true, if it is true, then we're already living without realizing it in a kind of matrixy um, <laughs> system control. Uh, my dog is annoying me there. System control environment without AI, without AI, but it's just like literally the bureaucratic system and the functional technology and industrialized systems itself will self-protect like an organism. It's like a brainless organism, like a jellyfish, yet it's deadly <laughs> and Absolutely. has a will to survive, which is fascinating and possibly possibly true, I guess. Uh, if, if so, we, without realizing we're in that kind of world, we're trapped in that world already. And, I, and it's definitely mostly true. I don't know. I, I do believe there's actors within the jellyfish, which they don't control it, let's say, but they push it here and there, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, the man's a genius, obviously, but uh, what a yeah. what a fascinating theory and like what a revelation to come across and be like, okay, so we're already in that without the AI part. Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't. I also don't think that the system operates wholly on its own. I think obviously there are uh, certain people who push it push it further. Often, um, you know, th those those minds behind technological advancement. Um, the system's not doing it itself. And there, you know, he, he did think that there's a possibility through, he believed only revolution to sort of reverse the effects. But I think I think it's interesting that you bring up Spengler because Man in Technics was very similar several decades before. Yeah. Um, and I think that both of them are, are, are onto something. And I think that, as, as you say, it's mostly true, but it's, uh, you know, there has to be some blame placed on those uh, bad faith actors that help to move along the techno-industrial system rather than using their you know positions of power and whatnot to actively go against it yeah because from the way he seems to describe it too it's it's even like you know politicians and the, the mechanics of politics is the creation of this of this beast this um yeah. of the system and so they're just like puppets of the system even though it doesn't have a brain but it's got this weird esoteric will to live and i mean it's, it's just it's fascinating and the way and his yeah his i don't know i don't know what his propositions were for revolution maybe you can tell me about that because i don't know i know obviously he was into bombing and terrorism <laughs> but um his, yeah i'm happy to talk about the revolution um it sort of varied as time went on like i said anti-tech revolution just the working of an early paper doesn't specifically reference um like a terrorist campaign uh, I think he probably ultimately saw that as as uh, you know somewhat necessary given the circumstances. I think you know it was it, at the very least it hit got his theories out there. I don't think a lot of people would have known who he was had he uh, not had his his manifesto published by Ultimatum. But mm. I think that uh, sort of when he talks about revolution, one interesting thing that I actually kind of contest is that he believes that revolution would have to be cosmopolitan. And that if the United States had some sort of anti-techno-industrial uh, revolution, uh, but yep. Japan didn't, it would ultimately be futile because there would still be the operation of that system in the other parts of the world, which would continue to move. I think it's kind of wishful thinking to imagine that every single country, every single developed country will uh, you know, have revolutionaries simultaneously take up arms. But I, he, he ultimately believed that uh, there would need to be a grassroots revol revolution against the system that would have to be largely participated in. But surprisingly, he, he focuses a lot on the leftish types, at least yeah. in industrial society and its future, um, which I think was an, a particularly interesting facet of his philosophy. But he thinks that they, they cannot um, necessarily be involved with the revolution 
because the leftist tendency is to dominate and to uh, control, which yeah, I don't know yeah. if you simply believe that was easily done through um, uh, techn technological system or that he just believed that would be the ultimate outcome, but he was clearly a man of unlimited freedom. Um, and so I think he saw, he saw an interesting contrast there and there's more to talk about with over socialization and whatnot, but yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah, he definitely, yeah, he definitely did talk about them a lot and like they, he was that, and I believe he said that there, any revolution, uh, the leftist, the leftist mindset is, is, um inherently technocratic or within the system uh, already and even it's sort of like a full rebellion any rebellion they propose is really not it's not and, and we can see that with them they don't really they're very corporate they like their industrial uh, comforts you know they're not really they they when it, i think i think he said this too when whenever if an environmental movement like the early environmental movement does get absorbed into a leftist cause it just becomes one facet it's, it becomes like a trinket of that is like not considered important or not nothing is nothing is done about it it's overshadowed by things like you know gay marriage or whatever yeah so, i think yeah that's um an, that's an important critique i think you can really see that now with specifically the sort of scapegoating of, of climate change as a leftist uh theory which obviously is it's an important issue but it's not nearly holistically embraced and there's not um you know the, the left are often afraid to propose any sort of radical environmental measures. But uh, like you said, it get, you know, leftists are so focused on minor social victories that they um, are, you know, they're not, they're very disingenuous when they talk about improving um, living situations, especially worldwide. And I think you, know, you can see that, especially with the, uh, the more upper class liberal elite in which they embrace consumerism. They rely on, uh, you know, consumer comforts, they uh, definitely wholly embrace industrialism, but then they just take this one aspect of it um, and uh, which which they can use to further their goals of, uh, of, of general control. And then they pretend like it's an important, important piece of the philosophy. So I think that's an important note by him. And I think it's, it's largely true. I think, you know, what, what, at least what he's describing as the leftist type, maybe not necessarily the, you know, old left but uh but um yeah. you know yeah the, the typical like uh, modern uh, liberal type yeah so i mean they do so that just he's absolutely right and from we can from anecdotal experience we know that they, yeah, exactly. they're really all about signaling their uh supposed um you know uh, causes not about actually doing anything about anything yeah <laughs> it's exactly. all about saying they're angry it's all virtue and signaling. It's, yeah virtue signaling and power it's absolutely right like and whether they realize it or not, that's what it's about, which is the weird thing. So I don't know, like this is, that feeds into my other theory personally, that more people are sort of quasi psychopathic than we realize. And they don't really, <laughs> you know, uh, just inherently false and deceptive and all this kind of thing. But that's nothing they would take. I don't know if he ever said anything like that, but um, so why don't you say, I never, I automatically sort of assume or understand what he means by over-socialized myself. But do you, do you have a better description of exactly what he meant by that? Yeah, I could talk about it because I think it's a particularly pertinent issue with the sort of uh, phenomenon of cancel culture, which which he was basically theorizing uh, several decades before. But yeah. the idea is essentially that um, people are increasingly restricted in their thought and speech through social norms that um, and specifically he, he referenced, you know, the over socialized sort of liberals who are almost entirely controlled by the 
the acceptable level of speech and thought. And he believed it led uh, significantly to mental health, which he, you know, he talked about mental health a lot because largely, um, you know, with the power process and with surrogate activities, it feeds into a lot of this. It's, uh, you know, maybe not entirely, but partially an outcome of the, of the industrial system. But I think that that's just one aspect of his philosophy that kind of gets overshadowed because it's not directly linked to technological advancement, but I think it's really important to consider nowadays and kind of prophetic. Yeah, and he was very prophetic because the leftists in his day weren't as extreme as they've become since. So yeah, exactly. he was definitely he definitely diagnosed them early on, like spot on, and he could see what was going on there. Um, one thing I, I meant to ask you before, um, too, since you're an ecologist uh, who's not a leftist, let's say, um, what's your take on climate change? I think that it's you know I, I believe um, in in climate change. Uh, yeah. I think it's an issue. I think it's partially largely unstoppable insofar as even if we removed all carbon from the atmosphere right now, it would um, not not stop sea level rise, which I think is unfortunate. But I think obviously it can't you know be be seriously dealt with without uh, reevaluating um, sort of the the global east, specifically Africa, India, and China, their consumption of resources, their pr uh, production of fossil fuels. Etc. But also, I think that um, you know I, I embrace the sort of the localized uh, small farm life. But I think some of the vegan leftist critiques, specifically, which I see a lot now, are kind of misguided insofar as methane from cows is a very uh, you know it's a it's it's, it's a, a natural gas, but it's a short-lived natural gas. It leaves the environment, whereas some of those output through um, the industrial uh, sort of uh, manufacturing of, of not only products, but of, you know, uh, processing of, of agricultural products, even in the plant sphere, are a significantly longer lived uh, natural gases. Yeah, I, I understood that too. And I, I, I also was never a, uh, I always thought climate change, the concept of climate change did not surprise me. I always felt there was probably some price to pay for all this junk we're pumping out through these smokestacks and cars all day long. Like, um, you know, it's very obviously controversial, but, um, I never, I never found anything to find unbelievable about it. So, if if you if, if in your so you're saying there's it's inevitable, but so what do you think will happen? This is off the topic, but I'm just curious. What, well, what would you what do you think will happen? I think that this this involves a few factors, but one of the sort of the, the prophecies that can be seen through the outlining is that in about uh, of of a a liberal estimate of 300 years, we'll see a uh, basically another mass extinction, um, similar to that of the Permian, prop, uh, you know, the lar largest in a long time. Um, I think that that isn't um, necessarily an issue in that mass extinctions have come and they have gone um, right. and they have, uh, you know, led to new biodiversity. I think though it is coming very quickly compared to others, which is an issue. And I think that if specifically what I, I see as a, a primary issue is the a development of habitat and the expansion of uh, urban areas. Um, okay. If if that continues, which is actually the the main the primary threat to a lot of um, a lot of the animals that I've worked with and just worldwide, a lot of the biodiversity worldwide, climate change is is often inconsequential as compared to habitat destruction. Uh, really? And so yeah. I think that if you know if the Earth is is developed too quickly and it sees conjunction with the sort of mass extinction, it could be a uh, you know, it could be, it could be a disaster for biodiversity on Earth, especially if you know humans are a very adaptable species, and if they mm -hmm. manage to uh, sort of evade 
the extinction efforts um, and then continue with their development, it, it could be ultimately catastrophic. Yes, right. Yes. So, <laughs> and you feel this is inevitable. I don't know if this is inevitable in the to the extent of which I explain. I think like you know sea levels are. I think the uh, the transition of biomes is inevitable. I think, but that that itself can often lead to you know an explosion of biodiversity in new, in new niches. I think that the the primary issue is sort of this development of of habitat and just this largely urbanization is probably the largest threat to the planet that i can that i can think well of. maybe maybe it'll, it usually flourishes in bizarre ways you can never predict so maybe it'll be like like it was with the mammals who all came from some kind of rat or whatever yeah, maybe exactly. only only humans will survive and we'll become diverse we'll be like uh in the time machines it'll be like the morlock race and the uh the other, the other ones that we eat like cows <laughs> some horrific uh you know expansion like this, this so one like more question before i go back to ted gazinski just for yeah. you is what do you think about nuclear power Nuclear power. I, I think that, too, but I, I don't. I don't really. I'm not a fan of it. I'm not. I'm not That's utterly it. excited about it. I think that mm. if there were a way to um, sort of genuinely dispose or recycle of the waste product, it would be preferable to some of the things we see, like hydroelectric power. Ironically, often um, championed by some of those those leftist environmentalists, which is all you know. They've, it's destroyed just about every river where I've lived um it's it's horrible all the fish i'm a, you know i'm a fisherman so i've really seen the the disastrous effects of damming for hydroelectric power but i think that you know the the only types of power i, I can really celebrate are one like the geothermal power which they've done in iceland because of the you know large geothermal access and yeah. also just small scale like personal harvesting and replenishment of firewood you know i, I largely think of scaling down um you know, human society, a sort of localism, if, if you will. Um, and so I think that, you know, that's actually what, what Penti Lincola suggested in Kin Life Prevail was a very, you know, small scale use of, uh, use of firewood to power only, you know, what's necessary for human existence. Obviously, he was largely anti-technology himself. And so I think that's probably the ideal situation. But I think nuclear power could potentially be a better um option compared to some of what we see right now yeah i would agree with all that absolutely and i would be like i mean that's sort of like the way they used to do things you'd have a polis or you'd have like a castle with a village and sort of self-contained area and everybody farmed even within like a walled off area and you could be just utterly self-contained i mean that was the that was the pre-industrial way to do things really and there's still these lovely you can see these you know mannerly homes that are still potentially self-sustainable just like large acreage and you, you've got your you know people that live there or serfs or whatever but you know, self-contained. And uh, that's also the way you develop unique culture. Yeah. Uh, you know, not just uh, food or agriculture, but culture itself. So, I mean, that's, it is the way to do things. Um, I'm scared of nuclear power because of the millions of years it takes for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, and these timescales, we're already looking at, you know, you're, you're, you're already saying, you know, inevitable disaster, uh, rising sea levels. And like, he was going to keep maintaining these. Yeah. Exactly. These things for millions of civilization is going to just stay, hold, hold firm and stay together. It's too, too risky. It's too crazy. That's what I think. I just don't. I'm not a fan of it. And that that I think might be our final undoing from other sources. Is I think of things like unmanned uh, nuclear power stations. You know, for for reasons of you know Spenglerian decline or whatever. But yeah. I mean, what do you do with then? I mean, that's a that's a true disaster. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, it's pretty risky. Anyways, so what is uh, does Ted uh, talk much about nuclear power? Right? Because I don't know anything that he, he said about uh, it. It wasn't really so much on his radar. 
as far as I can tell. He didn't uh, write about it very much. I, I assume he would oppose it, obviously, as an opponent of the, the industrial system. But I didn't see that much in, in either uh, technological slavery or uh, anti-tech revolution. Yeah, so according to Ted, any it's I heard it, uh, I'm not even sure if he said this or someone else made this analogy. It was, um, the technology is like the ring in Lord of the Rings, where if you think you can, according to Ted, you think you can actually use it, but just use it sparingly or correctly, this is false. Like Gandalf will say, no, the moment you are meddling with the ring, you know, you're lost. This is, yeah. you know, so he's just, that's his, that's his way of uh, thinking about technology. I'm not sure if Heidegger was the same, but he certainly was similar in thinking it was very risky altogether. So there's no, you know, just having a little bit of cars or a little bit of, I don't know. I, so I'd assume he'd be, he, he doesn't care about the internet or computers. I mean, all of it, anything yeah. industrial. And so, I have to, I have to agree with him. Um, in that I don't, you know, I think that's, that's a good analogy. I don't think he made that one, but it's, it's a, it's a strong point that, you know, once you, and he, he did think of it in that way. And that if you, you know, give some wiggle room to technology, you allow like the, uh, the system to, to exist on a small scale, it's ultimately going to continue to rebuild itself. You're going to have, uh, the issue largely, it's kind of akin to, you know, like the, uh, the little microscopic organism of the hydra in fresh water, you know, you, you cut it down. To a little bit, ultimately, it's gonna it's gonna regrow back, and I think that that's that's true. People often want to cherry pick. They're like, oh yeah, we can keep you know this aspect of technology, but I mean, it de depends how far back you go. You know, I'm not necessarily uh, pragmatically advocating for the abolishment of uh, like refrigerators, but especially like with the internet, um, there's absolutely no way that you can have the internet and, uh, and you know and without a total ultimate control of the technological system. Yeah, like what did Ted use in a shack? Did he have uh, light bulbs in that electricity or no? Did he? Um, I'm assuming you know? he didn't use he didn't use electricity. I know that he used a typewriter to write his manifesto. Right, um, right. So you know, non non automated. He he definitely did shy away from the internet. I don't think he even owned a computer, um, or yeah. he probably would have written it on it, which I think was was smart um, on his part. I think you know the internet now you know within the within the system has can provide a lot of you know has some good aspects, but ultimately. It's, it's just as tyrannical as the rest of the system itself. So I think he, you know, he was like truly lived out uh, his theory, which I, I greatly appreciate. You know, I'm uh, maybe not, you know, quite as a, much of a primitivist in that I'm not, I, you know, I farm, I don't hunt or gather, but, um, uh, or exclusively hunter gather. But I think that well, I, fishing, I is, fishing is, fishing is kind of hunter gather now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I do like, you know, I, I forage and stuff, but I also grow my own food. Uh, yeah. I don't, you know, so, so one of the things I, I can, sometimes uh, don't get along with the, with the true primitivists on is the, the existence of agriculture. I think that actually Ted Kaczynski's notes on the uh, green revolution are absolutely yeah. correct. He, he quotes um, uh, an Indian, uh, I think I believe Indian village leader talking about how the, the green revolution, because of the introduction of these, these, you know, extremely powerful pesticides as means to produce more crops resulted from, you know, people gathering in festivals to people gathering in medical centers, and you know, I, I necessarily oppose industrial agriculture, but I think that the idea that you know growing your own food is somehow uh, incompatible with with human nature is kind of silly. 
Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, yeah. You, you have to decide where the line is and draw it yourself, maybe. Out of, or someone has to decide where it is. But yeah, you, you know, we can. Only, I, I don't even think we can totally have a revolution that would negate technology. I don't see how, just like you said oh, earlier, <laughs> you know, if Japan still had their, just geopolitically, if all of the U.S. decided they were going to revolt and not use technology, then they're, you know, all the other countries are that much more powerful than powerful than them, at least in that short term. And, you know, they will succumb to somehow to that. And just, just the nature of power and stuff like, um, I don't see how if there was like, a, if we were smart enough, which were because of the over socialized people, we are doing nothing smart at all. There's, I don't see anything in our future, but a d disaster we have to survive. <laughs> but yeah. um, the if we were smart about it, we would at least, I think, try to do some of these technological ways out, you know, even though I'm maybe, maybe Ted's right about the, the thing with the ring and, and all that. I don't know, but at least, at least try to find some tech, technological, uh, non-nuclear, I would say, ways to keep going. I mean, through new advancements or through, I mean, people try and talk about this all the time, I guess, and ultimately it doesn't seem to really go anywhere. So maybe that's not possible, but I mean, that's, I mean, the, the, True ecology and environmentalism is not leftist for the reason that if there was any hope of doing anything about it at all, it would require an absolute old school aristocracy, like an autarch or a Kaiser, just to say, okay, with a sweeping sweep of his hand, say, all the cars are gone, <laughs> all the electricity is gone. <laughs> you know, you'd have to, it's, there's no leftist way to apply that. <laughs> all they're going to do is do their little carbon taxes and their little silly, yeah. you know, crap. So, yeah, he definitely had diagnosed that from start to finish. So let me ask, do you, are you totally like self-sufficient there? I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm a college student, so I, I have, you know, I, I, you know, I aspire to it and I, you know, I do what I can. I, I, uh, you know, grow, like I said, grow a portion of my food, but ideally I will ultimately, you know, have a, have a farmstead, but right now, you know, it's, uh, it's a little difficult, but I, I try to do, you know, I try to do as much as I can to live what, live what I preach, uh, which I believe is important, you know. But it's interesting that you bring you, you bring the, about the topic of of you know an aristocracy or an autark um, for 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 real environmentalism because I think that that's something to to go back to Pentiling Cola that he talks about how you know if there were to you know be some you know smart uh, great person it could not come from democracy no. um, which I think ties into something Rene Guénon said which I can paraphrase as nothing can the higher cannot proceed from the lower. Which is the inherent uh, inherent issue of, of democracy. So I think that you're, you're ultimately right. There would need to be some, you know, beginning a revol, you know, you know, getting a revolution. There'd have to be some sort of uh, some sort of, of of singular power that would, you know, you. you I'm not necessarily, you know, ex extremely excited about ruling with an iron fist, but I think to do something um, really measurable that would ultimately have to result. You know, I think that the idea of like, you know, personal village system with like a, you know, a, a, an iron fist king would probably be, you know, ideal to go back to, go back to that time. But I don't know if, you know, Americans especially would ever accept something like that. So I tend to, you know, try, I think, you know, like Ted also, you know, he was a genius, but he was kind of a dreamer. And I think that pragmatically um, some of, you know, some of his theories, regardless of whether they're not, they're true, just ultimately realistically could not uh, come about in the, in the current uh, circumstances without a significant like collapse which you know I'm kind of rooting for, but uh, you know yeah. that's 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 never certain. 
No, that's the, like, yeah, it'd almost be worse if there wasn't, if it didn't happen soon. In fact, it would be almost exactly. a good deal worse. Maybe you could say it might happen under a, I mean, I, I hate the idea of this and I hate to say it, but, um, you know, like communists, they end up being every bit as, uh, you know, um, not autarchical, what's the word? Um, totalitarian. Yeah. Sorry, yes. As every bit as totalitarian as anybody else that comes before them. So if you had some green communist revolution and the, the commissars became the new... They just use different words for themselves. They don't call themselves lords or whatever. They say, you know... So the commissar, maybe they could implement this with the same totalitarian zeal, like take away the cars, take away the lights, just say, nope, shut up. Because the other... Ted's right. And from the liberal point of view or from the masses, they will never, ever give up um, the slightest bit of convenience they've been handed. You know, no matter how it poisons them or anything else, if they, they, they you, you can't explain them out of it. I don't, the average person will not, does not care about anything we're talking about or anything Ted Kaczynski did or said. <laughs> yeah. Like the truly, you know, the great mass of people. So you could only just deny them somehow, some, you know, I think, I don't know. So like in his ideas of the revolution, was it a, a common, like a revolution of the people? No, you said it was um, cosmopolitan. It, it, so it have to no, it just would have had to occur across the uh, the globe, but it was a revolution of the people, largely. Yeah, and across the globe, I mean, there's no way now to it's the globe is not in agreement about anything. There'll be power struggles, and yeah. there'll be mass destruction. <laughs> it's it's impossible, like I, you know, like I was saying. I, yeah. I appreciate his zeal, but I don't think you know that it's it's necessarily pragmatic. But it's interesting you bring up the the communist. I think you know true communism, at least the Marxism, does uh, sort of champion industry, but from a worker's point of view, but if you had maybe something like a, you know, a, tr you know, a transformation, that's maybe like a green uh, juche or however you pronounce the North Korean school of thought, then yeah. possibly, you know, you could, you could have, it would probably result in suffering on an individual level. You might be able to slow the sort of inevitable uh, decline of, of the, of, you know, environment and society into sort of like a, you know, living in pods, eating uh, protein farms from Blade yeah. Runner. Um, yeah. Sort of uh, dystopia, but it's it's really hard because there's not often uh, you know a good answer that would be you know like would would cut would cut it short. So hence why I think just sort of expanding like um, you know the uh, the sort of John Muir worldview, you know, like like you know uh, bring you know I think a lot of people actually do care about nature. Maybe not the not the majority, but I think a lot do. I think they're ultimately clouded yeah. by their uh, sort of material comforts. But I think if yeah. you could that around and if you really i think what's most important is the sort of scaling down to maybe something resembling the village system not necessarily like a feudalism village but just like you know and i think it's interesting you brought up before how culture um occurs under that you know real culture which i think is is very true and i think bioregionalism is, is probably an important aspect of which you know this can be seen very clearly in the uh, the early native americans and that despite you know, occupying, you know, the same country, they had very uh, specific um, cultures and oral histories based along the environment. So, you know, if people really, I think that uh, the ultimate real enemy is like the sort of global homogenization of people and culture through industry. If you could sort of, uh, you know, separate people in, into biological regions and bring, you know, bring back the sort of idea of self-sufficiency and a, a small farm future, as Chris Smage puts it, there could be a little more hope on a, on a genuinely pragmatic scale. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would be all for it too if we could convince people somehow to to do that. Um, yeah. I mean, even then, there would still be cities, wouldn't there? How could you? 
is there a way to like disband a city? Like, would you, and then, or the natural formation of a city through, I guess, is it money and employment or how does it, how does it? Yeah, or, I mean, cities it, tend I guess to be- it's, it's like a village that grows exponentially. It's like a farm, it starts as a village, like you're saying, and then just, it's so good. It's, the food is so good or something. <laughs> Everyone goes there or what? I don't cities know. Cities so. tend to be outposts of um, political and economic power. Uh, you know, you can see, like, you know, a concentration of that. So sort of splitting that up might, you know, amend some of the issues of the city. You could also look towards the, you know, the good urbanism theories proposed by a number of the new urbanist authors of like human scaled cities, uh, which I think is, I think is cool. I think is important. I don't know if you can necessarily like get rid of somewhere like New York City. Um, I think, you know, if you, even if you change the, uh, the sort of, the sort of thought, you know, those skyscrapers would still be there, but at least, um, you know, you know, bringing people back to a sort of a rural living largely and scaling down the increasing development of the cities at least could sort of uh, short, you know, it could, could lengthen the time towards, uh, between us and our inevitable, you know, deterioration due to the, the urbanization and the technological system. Like I said, there's not really a good answer here. It's, uh, it's a nuanced issue and it's, it's complex. Um, yeah. And, just yeah. you know, very difficult to propose something that the over-socialized masses could go along with, which yeah. is you know yeah. I, I ultimately re resort to mostly just teaching people about like regenerative agriculture and permaculture, which is what I currently work in. Uh, sort of trying to just spread those those values, which I think is probably the most genuinely useful thing I can do on a personal scale. But no, like I said, yeah. you know, from democracy, it's very unlikely that we're going to see real change. Let me ask you, do you find much um, resistance or trouble, or maybe you keep it privately, private, um, being in your sphere and not being, say, on the left, since it's so it's become so associated with that? You Would know, you... It's, it's funny. Um, sometimes uh, I am pretty open about about my views. I'm not, you know, super crazy, radical, pragmatically. Um, so I, I tend to be able to get along with people. I have lost friends over um over 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 your know, love of ted, ted kaczynski <laughs> yeah or not even just ted kaczynski just inconsequential even smaller political things you know over socialization is so prevalent that yeah. some people who you know some of them even you know they they ended up coming back and talk to me you know they they uh, they couldn't handle succumbing to the over socialization but some just did you know they believe that like uh, they've been sort of spoon-fed this idea that if you have you know uh friends who are uh you know want to deny other people rights. The left is very good at uh, creating these blanket statements, these straw men, and just casting them upon people. Um, and so that, like that, that's you know a totally legitimate reason to end friendship. But my real friends, you know, they've uh, if anything, it's just shown who is uh, who is truly um, a genuine friend of mine. So it hasn't been a big issue. But I, you know, I do see some pushback. I think that I, you know, I'm increasingly like I try to you know not talk about it too much when it comes to like what I'm doing for work because I think that ultimately I might alienate people but people who know me I have had a, you know a little bit of that like oh you know you believe x how could you which is which is I think kind of dumb because ultimately we're, we're going for the same real goal here of uh you know yeah. environmental regeneration and whatnot I think yeah yeah like the le the other leftist stuff really has nothing to do with it usually it's just you know or is yeah. even against it. like you know um open borders immigration is not to the benefit oh. of uh, any environmental issue, that's for sure. Or, you know, I don't know, 
and most of the other stuff. It's just like nothing to do with it at all. <laughs> but uh, well, that, that was the amazing thing that, is, that Ted talked about. And to do it, that's why he spoke so much of the left is how they would, like I said, absorb environment an environmental cause and just make it, you know, un, just one, uh, a lesser thing on a list of other grievances that, you know, and ultimately did nothing with it. But somehow they're able to absorb it and take it over because they think that of themselves anyways as the anti-system, even though, as he says, they are the system. So, you know, yeah, it's crazy. Or like he says, what did he say? I believe he says, this is the structure of the power. Like say when we're talking about cities there. So the car at the invention of the invention of the car, when it was invented, there was like, it was like an option among other options. You could take a horse, you could walk, you'd ride a bike, take, use a car. And then it becomes over time, absolutely necessary um and then we're at the point where we reshape our cities around the car and not just our cities but the space between cities it's all to do with roads and stops for cars and you know everything becomes shaped around it up that uh, you know so it's like it just takes off in a, as a power uh of its own that's you know uh just and when you encounter a power like that it's sort of insurmountable like there's no way to maybe back out of it again <laughs> Especially once we've designed everything around it, as foolish as, as foolish as that is. So I don't remember what he said, contra to that, or what he how he suggested we get out of even something like the car. I guess it has to be just that people stop wanting to go long distances and are happy with a horse, really. Yeah, it can, can't which, be anything else. You know, which is why why pragmatically I tend to be a little more interested in in the sort of new urbanist thought of like you know changing how we think about urbanization and go away from, you know, making the streets for the cars, for the people, same, you know, that ultimately results in the cities. But he did believe, you know, ultimately human humanity would have to abandon the car because car is one of the uh, the significant evils of the technological system, just absolutely yeah. disastrous for both, you know, the atomization of human, of human communities and also the environment. But like you said, you know, back then there was the option to have a horse or, you, or a car or a train or a bike. And even if you know, a large amount of people are like, you know, oh, okay. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to take cars anymore. If it's the option, eventually, as time goes on, the luxury of being able to travel so efficiently is going to usurp any sort of pragmatic belief against the car, uh, which is an issue. And it's interesting that you talk about immigration before, because that was one of the things that sort of got me to embrace pragmatically the kind of like, a, you know, Roger Scruton, Pat Buchanan, sort of like, you know, real conservatism in that, uh, you know, like you said, the, the left are the system and that they're importing of humans. Uh, it's, it, it's just, you know, laughable because one, it massively fuels capitalism and income inequality and uh, job reduction and all the things they claim to dislike. Two, it yeah. significantly burdens the uh, environmental pressures of, of, of industrial systems. And then three, what's really an issue is that there's no way you can have this sort of bioregional culture or village culture with the constant movement of people because you can't develop a sort of a, a close, you know, self-sufficient society if you keep cycling people from completely different cultures in. And ultimately, I think it, it, it's a strange thing because though it, you know, embraces their idea of human rights, it kind of goes against everything else that the left claims to care about, aside from minor social victories, which is all they really talk about now, but still. Yeah. And um, yeah, so um also like beyond so we have the car and we've structured everything around the car i'm pretty sure he said something about this too or I, 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 I because i haven't read him in depth like you i can only 
I get my most of my knowledge about them from other sources, and I get confused about whether it's someone else's idea of what of his ideas or him. But I believe uh, there was an example of so like car is a great example of something just appearing, uh, uh, something's invented and it absolutely takes over. But then when we think again of the system as a this brainless um, uh, f entity with a will to live that will destroy us if it, if it needs, we are we are becoming abs um, you know incidental to it. Well, we I mean we are there to generate and keep the cycle of money going and keep things moving around. I mean I guess we we are always going to be unless there was total automation of robots, maybe. <laughs> but I don't know. If if you think of this ghostly system, without a leader, without a whatever it is, it, it's 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 alive in its own way. So then, if it does do something like automation, it doesn't care uh, if that if automation happens. I'm not so sure automation will happen. Um, just because I think we're getting more inept and everything's getting sort of shabby and falling apart, <laughs> and yeah. I'm not sure they can pull it off like they could have done uh, even 20 years ago or something. But if they do, obviously, there's a whole swath of people completely out of work, and the system doesn't care about that. Not then in the least. Why would it? It's nothing to do with the system. The system, as long as it keeps going and you know functioning somehow, the the happiness of the people have nothing to do with it. So that's the weird. That's the genius of Ted's theory, and I think is his, is his theory on the system. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's quite dire, I guess. If we're, you know, we're <laughs> or it's dire, both dire. It's like a science fiction. It, like you don't realize how I mean, you know. It's amazing in a way that it would be, it could be that way, that it is like an entity, <laughs> but, yeah. um, you know. It's funny that you you mentioned science fiction because I think, you know, people are like, you know, they say, okay, you maybe were headed in the sort of, I have no mouth, but I must scream or brave new world sort of, uh, you know, s the system really acting upon human beings. But I think what the irony is that that's already present, even though, you know, you can't genetically manipulate humans, the uh, sort of, um, disgenesis that has come as a result of the luxuries offered by the technological system have, have definitely benefited it. Um, and I think, you know, we, we have physiologically, mentally, um, you know, been, been slowly manipulated, not, you know, necessarily with intention, but just through that, you know, what, if it, if it, it's like natural selection, you know, if it benefits the system, that is uh, is acting upon upon humanity. Obviously, we're no longer acted upon by a, a pure sort of natural um, natural system. It will, you know, it, it'll be maintained and it will be passed on. And I think that's a big issue. You know, Ted talks about it with with mental health, with you know physical decline. I think you know it's a pretty common talking point as far as this, the anti-industrialism goes. But you know, like the like you know he talks about, which I think I just want to touch on because I think it's one of his most ingenious theories. Is the is the power process and surrogate activities, and that human beings to feel um, content have to go through the, this power process, you know, d doing necessary goals that are are taxing, but ultimately result in a sort of satisfaction from an evolutionary perspective, and that's why you have you know as he brings up you know aristocrats who who turn towards hedonism or whatnot because their physical needs are fulfill fulfilled. Is the surrogate activity, which isn't necessarily bad, you know. You, talks about hirohitos, marine biology, but that once you have these, um, once the power process is, you know, no longer acting in full, once your your physical needs are mostly met, you turn towards these activities that sort of mimic it and that it, you know, it's not always a bad thing. Like I said, I, I fish, um, it's not, you know, not just necessary to my survival, but, uh, you know, you have things like excess um, romance or sex or um, things like, you know, addiction, like like pornography, like gambling uh, and, and drugs you sort of yeah. that 
you know, addiction can sort of be understood as um, increasing, getting, you know, your brain is being tricked into believing it's going through the power process, but it doesn't quite get there. So you want more and more and more because you're, you know, you're thirsting for this, this fundamentally important um, human, human experience. But, you know, since, since birth, your, your physical needs have been met. And uh, it ultimately, you know, that leads to mental health issues a lot. Um, And, you know, so Ted's idea of the power process is that by that, does he mean essentially like achieving goals, like, you know, mastering a horse and plowing your own field, like the feeling of achievement. Yeah. So that's, that's, we mimic that with just the simple pleasures. So in a way then the system has, has made us all junkies of its trinkets and comforts and that keeps, keeps us in this junkie state. Yeah. With just like false. Yeah. Cause there is a totally different feeling when you do, when you make something on your own, see, or you would know, even when you catch a fish or, you know, successfully grow a tomato plant or something. Yeah. Like even today I was working on a, on a path outside here and it was like grueling. I was like, <laughs> I'm actually quite tired from it. But it was, I mean, I, when it was done, I was like, oh, this is great. Like, I just like, uh, uh, there's no point going into it. But anyways, it was a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. I and mean, yeah, there's, yeah, there's, a, there's a, the genuine accomplish, accomplishment feeling. And then the actual, you have the result, you have the thing itself as well, which you don't have feeding your yourself with a system junk, junkie stuff. You know, what were you say? I was just say, it's funny that you bring up the idea of, you know, that it puts it into words really well that we're all sort of junkies of the system because when I, you know, uh, you know, often take like, some, you know, some companions out into, you know, just, just total nature, you know, we're camping out in the woods, um, you know, oftentimes, you know, I've experienced this early on, but they will, you know, voice a sort of, uh, you know, bemoaning their, their lack of fix of modern comfort but ultimately often end up feeling, you know, in, in a very unique way, uh, you know, mentally content, refreshed, whatnot from, from being out, you know, living a, a natural human life. Yeah, so it's yeah. a lot like, you know, when you're, you know, I have, I've, I've had a lot of experience, people close to me having, you know, addiction issues and that, you know, you really want that, you know, when it goes away, you really want it. But eventually, you know, I've, I've never met an addict who got clean and said, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, I don't like this. I'm going to go back. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I'm, all this is very, very interesting. And, you know, I'm, I'm still slightly of two minds about it. Like, first of all, I don't think we can, I don't see how we could revolt and just remove all technology. I agree. And secondly, I do have a faint, perhaps naively girlish hope that there is technological solution. I don't know. We see it as all bad. even like what we're doing right now. I don't consider this bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, certain things, that are there's good and bad to them. Like the whole thing is not entirely bad, even though there's these terrible consequences. And you just, if we could be smart about it, if we could be very select, I always think of it like as uh, what's the concept I used to say, hierarchical industrialization. Cause I'm all in for like exploring space and stuff like it. So I wish we would just have, uh, you know, reserve um, fuel oil just, just for like rockets <laughs> and not use yeah. car, you know, or maybe, maybe, maybe even like if you could power your car from the sun or something, maybe it would be all right. I don't know and be try to use totally natural materials if you know if it's i know it's like a pipe dream and it sounds silly but <laughs> <laughs> maybe. I, mean, I you know i i actually agree to some extent i think that you know although the bad tends to outweigh the good with the system if you can you know if it's inevitable at least attempting to subvert it like you know like doing this uh you know maligning the system through itself or like uh you know clo- you know the cloning cloning will probably inevitably be a net evil if you know it, it gets acted upon in humans, but like, you know, bringing back megafauna to uh, replenish 
um, you know, not ecological niches where they were important, sort of rewilding aspect through technology. I'm more for that because you're using at least a part of the system to try to delay its, its inevitable tyranny. I think it's kind of all we can do. Yeah, that would be great. Stuff like that. More like intense biology and less yes. of the other sciences, let's say. There was actually a science fiction book I read when I was younger. And it just popped in my mind where there was an alien race and they had developed all their sciences through bi biology and bioengineering. So if they needed a... Um, I only remember this one scene in the book where they're using a giant refractor lens or something, but the lens is like bred into this like creature that has like a giant lead. Like it, it, not, it sounds maybe horrific, but it's... <laughs> it didn't sound so in the book. I'm not explaining it well. Yeah, yeah I, I, it, I get it. it. Yeah, yeah. So everything yeah. was biological. All their science was biological, which, you know, maybe that's it's, something. Uh, I mean, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. We're going to be stuck with it. I, I still mostly worry about these nuclear power stations and things, but, yeah, you know, that's that's something like, what do you do with that? I know that, I know. around Chernobyl there was, like, a resurgence. It was a return to nature of, like, radioactive nature. But, I mean, that's even at least they have the dome over it or whatever as well. So I don't know if they didn't have that, what kind of state would the area be? I'm sure fucking horrifying. I don't know. It's funny. Don't know. Uh, Chernobyl, though they, there, there have been some issues of like birth, you know, like the males of births dying out, just the, the lack of human presence has had been of uh, a better constant, you know, it's been more important than the, the irradiation of the area. And that there has been a lot of, you know, rewilding there because human, except for, you know, these, these old ladies who I'm sure have passed away now, these Russian or Ukrainian babushkas there, you know, isn't, there aren't a lot of people there. So you see like bears, um, you know, giant catfish, all this stuff, just living, living yeah. their natural lives, uh, you know, sort of accustomed to the radioactive presence. So I think, you know, yeah. I, I don't want a radioactive apocalypse, but... <laughs> I think that you know, there's a, at least there's a possibility there of like like other mass extinctions of you know there'll definitely be a large reduction of biodiversity, but sort of you know a, a, the the niche is coming back. Should human human presence be abolished? Unfortunately, I think that's yeah. like the, that's the the ultimate evil there is just the existence of humanity and the way it operates right now. But I wouldn't you know necessarily be opposed to sort of that that bioengineering. I mean, that's what ants do really is they've had you know they have fairly you know for, for their for their organism level complex technologies um but it's all you know it's all done through through the presence of fungus or other ants or um you know aphids that they farm for for uh, honeydew and whatnot yeah 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 they, their systems are amazing ants yeah i forgot yeah. about all that yeah so i think we probably saw the same show on uh, chernobyl but the, where did you where the russian guys are going to the babushka's houses and they're did i didn't see, see the show i just read an article but okay yeah, there's a documentary i saw it and they'd be like so these guys and like these babushkas, like li nice little old ladies, and they're going around foraging for mushrooms and just doing all their stuff on their own. And these guys will come in in the hazmats into their house <laughs> and with the thing, like and it was like then the the thing the um what do you call it the uh, thing that registers the amount of radiation. They'll start going crazy and they'll be like whoa, and they'll get out of there. And the the older <laughs> ones like, oh, do you want some? Do you want some soup? <laughs> <laughs> they're just living there. I mean, whatever. I mean, uh, you know, I don't real, know. No, but they're yeah, pretty hard. They're real bioregionalists, you know, like, you know, in, in those interviews, they were like, yeah, you know, this is our, our, you know, ancestral home, uh, we've, you know, generations have been, been here and they're, you know, they, they know the environment really well. And they're like, you know, I would, we're, we're old. Why would we, um, you know, leave to the city and be, be forced to participate in a sort of entirely wholly different, more soulless culture, you know, rather than, than accept the risk of radiation poisoning. So yeah, I know, yeah, you know, yeah. No, yeah, I totally admire it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd be in agreement there. Yeah, yeah. So let me just uh, 
I think that's about an hour, so we'll we'll shut down soon. But like, um, Ted Ted Kaczynski is still alive, isn't he? Am I wrong? Yes, he's, yeah, still... he's in prison. You can write him. Uh, he doesn't love getting letters, but you can write to him. <laughs> he doesn't, so he doesn't respond to me. He he does yeah. some of them if it's like a good enough question, I guess. But he's he's kind of fickle, so I've heard. Right. So, what do you have any any idea what his opinion are of things like currently, or does anybody know? Um, I'm sure. I mean, I, I he hasn't really. Uh, written that much on the current state. I think I'm kind of, you know, happy for him that he is in prison because I think if he were to leave and see the current state of things, it would be horribly troubling to him. Um, oh. So I'm not, I'm, I mean, I think, you know, he he's very, like you said, very prophetic. So he yeah. predicted all this stuff um, in, 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 you know, a while back when it was less severe. So I think his his ultimate would probably be like, you know, I told you so. Kind of like, you know, how the author of Brave New World, Aldous Huxley, when he wrote Brave New World Revisited, he's like, yeah, you know, this, this not only is this an accurate interpretation, but, you know, it, it's, he, he, you know, he wrote a nonfiction paper how all of this stuff is is happening much more quickly than he thought. So I think. Yeah. He, did, he, did he write about um, the what I don't know if he predicted or did he write about the total victory of the over socialized leftists? That are like just seem to be gaining power and getting more crazy. Does he? He doesn't he identify them as like necessarily leftists, but it, it, you have a you know a similar kind. It's sort of this like glib technological totalitarianism in yeah. that it, you know it's, it's a very similar system, and I think that you know it could it could be applied there. Um, it's not you know Ted Kaczynski more more specifically pointed the people out in terms of like a, a political terms, but just the sort of dystopian regime in the book could very easily come about as a result of the increasing power of these sort of, you know, over-socialized, uh, you know, industrialist, um, you know, uh, glo you know, modern left forces. Yeah, and he, I mean, he criticized conservatives too, the con that, which yeah, were the same did. then as now, I believe he he pretty much had them read as well. Yeah, well, he was like, um, you know, <laughs> they, they, they whine about the decline, he said something like, they whine about the decline of traditional moral values while championing the technological progress that directly erases these traditional moral values. Which he puts it perfectly. That's you know the modern conservative uh, outlook. Yeah, yeah. That's why. That's why I say I've never considered myself conservative, and I do not call myself that either. I'm just something else. I don't know what. I don't know what we should call ourselves, but uh, we're not either one of those. I don't think because. Yeah, I mean, you know, one's like, insane, and the other one is just useless. <laughs> There's, you know, certain conservatives, um, you know, who call themselves out, like I said, like Roger Scruton, they were more like a genuine um, yeah. conservative. But in the, you know, it, it's it's pointless to call yourself that in the political, you know, the current political paradigm, because what, what we know now as a conservative is very different than like what H.P. Lovecraft considered a conservative and his, you know, youth magazine, The Conservative. The term yeah. has changed a lot. But, you know, what Ted Kaczynski identifies as conservatives is the, you know, the, the largely dominating uh, ideology within that label. So I think, you know, being outside the political paradigm is, is, is very good um, in, in modern society because both are just so utterly uh, incompetent and you know, mm. the left may be more actively dangerous, but the right is at the very least uh, ignorant to a lot of things. But, you know, yeah, so what, what should we call ourselves is the question. We need to, we should write Ted Kaczynski and uh, ask him what uh, quickly name or something. Well, he, he, he used the term neo-Luddite, uh, which more refers to specifically the anti-industrial philosophy, but I think that's what he called himself. He was actively anti-political, so he didn't really identify with an, with an ideology necessarily. Well, po politics itself, he said, was was the system, was just 
mean, it, you know, it is. It, it's yeah, yeah. Know, so entwined. Yeah. It could be used to subvert it potentially, but it's uh, everything's ingrained in the system these days. The only way is to completely abandon it, and it's becoming increasingly impossible to live outside the system. But it, you know what he did in in Montana is maybe the only hope to uh to escape it. But then you know you still have it acting on everyone else, and eventually, if it you know continues this way, and you just you know even if you just like try to you know escape it and you let it continue eventually your lifestyle would will be impossible to achieve underneath the, the system yeah well about a week ago or a week and a half i talked to a guy uh michael thomas of sharon he's in upstate new york and he is fairly successful. i think he said he still buys half his groceries <laughs> uh but but i don't think i don't know that you know if he was if he was really pressed, if, if he was really pushed though i don't think i think he could get by without any you know he's he's doing that he has a family and he does he's not he doesn't want to be like ted i mean when when they when they found ted in the end he was looking pretty rough you have to yeah admit, pictures of me i'm not you know i'm not I'm not trying to go for that caveman lifestyle necessarily <laughs> that ted did but why, why didn't he build himself a bigger shack i mean he built it very neatly and concisely but i would make like a big kind of barn even it's in a the nice room. place i mean but yeah. yeah i don't know maybe just he didn't feel like he needed anything larger you know i know some Alaskan sockeye fishermen who just live in like a similar sized shack all year round. It's like it's like a family with two kids. I guess it's easier to heat and stuff like that. Maybe I mean, he's very he's a math his mathematical mind is you know super analytical. Yeah. He, he would think so. I would be thinking about the beauty of it and like <laughs> expanding it and whatever. Yeah, anyway. yeah. So that was good. Yeah, was, thank you so much. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's things about him we've overlooked, but I'm not, I'm not an expert in him and. You know that was a good again like the most amazing thing to me is this concept of the system that's what i want yeah i'd like other people to know about that because i think it's it might be true and which it's is just important. crazy <laughs> yeah so we're already in that trap yeah. whether you know so yeah so thanks for that yeah thank and, you uh, lovely to talk i'm glad i got to sort of share some of those uh, some of those theories with you know more people out there i think they're important yeah, well, if you ever have any others, you can let me know and we can get them out there as well. And yeah, you know, I'd be happy to uh, talk again sometime. All right. I'll, All right. Uh, I'll talk to you later. Yeah, sounds good. Okay. Bye.